0: Southern Soul Livestream is a weekly talk show and music hangout where the hosts learn your name and just might remind you of a favorite relative. We spotlight fascinating people, discuss current events, and pay special attention to lifting up generations. So if you want to know more, learn more, be more, or just be, Southern Soul Livestream is the place for you. Join us every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Just log on, kick back, and experience the eclectic vibe. Check us out at soullivestream.com.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Katie, for getting us started with a nice icebreaker and history lesson. I feel I am now ready. You know, as I was thinking tonight, I was thinking how in the world can we recognize, honor, and sit down and talk with someone who is so highly decorated and recognized. And, you know, I said, you know what? All you can say is thank you. Thank you for for Mrs. Bunny Bracey Sutton for being here tonight to share with us her story and experiences. But let me give you a background on on her. Originally native of Dinwiddie, Virginia, she was inspired by her town to look more than her town had to offer. However, within three years of teaching within the United States, she recognized there was a lack of support in education. So she decided to move to Germany. Mrs. Brady Sutton is a pioneer in the use of technology in schools in the United States, where she started her career overseas working in the Department of Defense K through 12 schools. It was there she developed unusual skills in creativity in the classroom, in addition to multiculturalism, that inspired her approach to teaching and connecting with children. While stationed there, she was assigned 37 third graders. Since then, she's received tons of awards. She's currently a member recognized in the Alexandria African-American Hall of Fame. She was appointed by President Bill Clinton, was the only K-12 teacher appointed to his National Information Infrastructure and Advisory Council. And she also got a chance to hang out with George Lucas and was appointed to committees by him. So many experience, so much awesomeness we will share with you tonight. But before we do, Tamika, do you mind spotlighting Miss Bonnie Bracey Sutton? Awesome. Good evening. How are you? I think you're on mute. can you send her the unmute, please? Got it. it. Awesome.
2: Sorry, I didn't see it. I'm looking at two screens. Well, actually, my mother got me started because she came from a peanut farm. Went to Virginia State, HBCU, but it was only a two-year program at the time. And she was disgusted by what she didn't know that other people did who had been to a four year college. So she went back to school. So once I became, well, I could read when I was two years old. So she pushed me into helping other people. But when I got to teach, I found that there was a big division in what people wanted you to teach, depending on who the students were. And I was actually bored like the kids were in school because some people taught reading and math and English all day and spelling. They didn't teach any science, they didn't teach any geography. The kids didn't move unless it was PE and they would hop out of their seats when it was PE time like they were getting out of prison. And that made me feel bad. But in Germany, since there were no materials and there was no money and there was nobody to always be looking down your nose and looking in your classroom, you could do whatever you wanted to as long as you didn't get in trouble with the the MPs. The MPs would um, send the whole school home when things happened. Like when kids got upset, they would put toilet paper in the commodes. And when you have that many children who are international, you have to be international. So you have to learn to read faces, understand languages, Be able to group people, be able to lead kids, be inventive and help them explore, be engaged and interested in what they were doing. So they don't want to leave school. And that's what I did. But you had to work with nothing because they didn't give us any materials. So I worked the Red Cross. I talked to the soldiers. There were so many men on that post. Do it smell like men?" And you go like, what does that smell like? I can't explain it to you, but you could go in the library and say, I have 37 children in the class and I need whatever. And they would get it because they would just want to come see kids for a little while. And it's it's a place that's of interest now because it's where a lot of the Afghans are being brought in near Longstool and all of those places also was the place where there were bunkers from the war and caves and memorials. And the kids had nothing. So we learned to draw, we learned to sing, we learned to do theater. And I learned my German colors by there's some little jelly belly candies. You use whatever you could to, to teach. So it made me inventive. I guess, Um, didn't have all those books too. I never saw my principal. In fact, I can't tell you what we said about him. Just, you backed out of his room, okay? You didn't go in there for anything unless you had to. It's worked really hard. And the hardest thing was to take the kids to the office's club for lunch. That was the hardest thing because it snowed almost every
1: day. Well,
2: you so know, interesting times.
1: Well, well, you know, one thing I love about your story is I begin to, you know, really pull out the pieces and begin to see how you started. Who would think that that start there would prepare you for so much, let's say, adversity yet celebration? So tell us once you leave Germany and decide to come back to the States. What did you see and what did you begin to see here locally?
2: Well, I tried to teach in D.C. schools and I was really good in Germany, but in D.C. schools, they kept telling me what to do, how to do it, when I should do it. And there were only 11 books in the school and there were more, and this was Anthony Bowen down in Washington, D.C., which is now Police Station, okay? And so I wrote to um, the president and I said, this doesn't doesn't work. They send us a box of books a month. I said, I have children who can read the whole set of books in a week or more. So something has to be done. And it was a Republican and his wife, you know who this was, right? She started doing uh, books for kids. And in this classroom I was in in DC, you could see the White House through the pings where there wasn't cardboard, but there weren't many of them. And there were. I'm saying to myself, I'm teaching in DC and the schools for kids in Germany are better. How is that? But I did it for three years until the kids started following me around. When I went to the grocery store, they would follow me. They would ask me, could I take them to the museum? They wore me out. The other thing was, sometimes children fell down on the shaft of the buildings that they were in because there wasn't a way to close the elevator doors. And it just got very sad. A lot of things happened. So then I moved to Arlington Schools. Arlington was in a community called Halls Hill. And the people in Halls Hill were so wonderful to me. It was a black community, it was gated, gated. Okay. And the trash man would bring me rugs. They'd bring me chairs, they'd bring me magazines. The mothers would cook and bring things to me. It was sort of like the community embraced their kids because they wanted better for them.
1: And this was before schools were um, desegregated, right? Absolutely. Okay.
2: And the the sad thing was, there was an oil can outside my classroom. In the wintertime, the men who needed days work were standing around the oil can to warm their hands. And I didn't have to talk about what happens when you don't learn to read and write, because that example was there. But those men were also helpful, too. They would bring things back from where they were. They planted flowers under my window, you you can't imagine how people who had nothing did so much to help me. And I did have some materials. I didn't have, I wasn't using museums at the time because I didn't know how. And then I I learned that if you have Black supervisors and you tell them what you need, they find a way to help Mm. you get it. And so there was Floyd gravett and he was from South Boston, Virginia. He had grown up very poor and he was determined that sixth graders would go to New York to see a play and that to do that, somebody had to help him with theater. So that's how I got started in theater.
1: And Awesome. Theater was before technology. Before technology, there was theater. Now tell me this, one thing I love is that you over in Germany. You had this community. You come over back in the States. You begin to build a community of your own. Yes. And it seems like there was this opportunity where you weren't just a teacher by yourself. You were surrounded by everybody. Like you said, it was the garbage man. It was, you know, the various people in the community that would support you to make sure that the kids had resources.
2: Oh, it was it was even better than that. There were some kids that didn't have. Facilities for showers in their home. So there was a parent who would come in and supervise people getting showers. And my father put water pipes in some people's houses so they could have running water. And it it was just a community effort to change things. And of course, my mother was very happy about that. So she made dresses for the little girls who didn't have anything much. It, It was. We, we had love, but we didn't have much of anything else. And Sean Sidnor put a picture of his grandmother in the newspaper and online today. We didn't go to the library because I didn't even know where the library, if there was a library in that section
1: of town. I don't think there was. Thank you. So tell me this. Show us how you became associated with Star Wars and the Indiana Jones franchise. Like, well, what were you doing? How did that happen? How did you go from where you were to get involved with those guys?
2: Well, I got invited to integrate schools. So I moved to a school where um, it was mostly white kids, but I never learned physics and deep science about space that much at HBCUs because the main job we had was to teach people, to read, to bring people up to speed. So when they went out to teach, they had basic skills. So I was fascinated by NASA and National Geographic and groups that did things with teachers and let you participate. And NASA had all kinds of things. And so one of their projects, was to have you build your classroom like the inside of a space room. And so I had drawings and pictures and all those types of things. And some men came by and looked in, and then they brought some other men I didn't know who they were. Uh, And the next day my principal said, you know, you need to take that stuff down. It's been up for two weeks now. And just as I was getting ready to Take it down. I got a letter which I shared with you from George Lucas, who wanted me to help him create videos to teach people how to share um, new ideas and ways of teaching. He didn't like school at all. He wanted to be a race car driver, but he had an accident, so he didn't do that. And he's also diabetic. And I took a lot of interest in health because in the summertime I always worked in the doctor's office. So I was doing those kinds of things and the men saw that. And see, I don't even know if he was one of the men or not because I didn't know who George Lucas was. So when I got this letter and I opened it and said, George Lucas, the boy said, George Lucas, the kids almost fell on the floor. And they said, you got a letter from George Lucas. I said, yeah. And so then I found out who George Lucas was, and I was astonished. But NASA, when these guys went up to space and and showed off all the money they had and showed us how they could go to space, NASA didn't do that. When NASA did it, they carried us with them. We studied. We knew what the mission was going to be. We we even raised tilapia, that's fish in a tank. We grew um, plants. we were supposed to be able to take space rocks to the classroom, but my principal didn't want the responsibility. So I went to the museum and then I found out, you know what, I didn't have to buy stuff because if I connected to the museum, I could use their stuff. So we, I learned to use museums as a learning place way before anybody else started talking about museum education. And the bus drivers, of course, they liked that because they could go into D.C. for a little while. And they would sometimes join me. And then I got really smart. I said, you know what? Instead of them prattling off as docents and telling us about the exhibit, I'll get the material for the kids, teach them that, and then they can ask their own questions. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, you know, I, I love the story. I can't explain to you how George Lucas changed my life. I have had an experience most people will never have. He has this long table in his at his ranch, and he would invite in all the people who were in education to have them pitch their ideas, and they didn't always agree. And I'd be sitting there, they didn't know who I was. And Shirley Malcolm, she's another Black educator in science, was sitting there, and there were several of us. And they would pitch their ideas and then they had to leave. And then we would talk about what they talked about, whether we
1: liked it, whether it would work or not. Well, you know, I tell you what I love about that story um, is that your principal is not supportive, but all of a sudden George Lucas is supportive. But at the same time, that theme seems like it follows you throughout your career. Do you mind telling us about the young man who um, brought a computer to your classroom? Well, I'm a pretty peaceful teacher. So a young man was brought
2: to me and they said, you know, he's going in special ed, but you'll get along with him because uh, you get along with all kids. And this kid looked at me and said, you're drinking coffee out of a styrofoam cup. That's not right. And I said, what? He said, See, see, there were kids interested in environmental things a long time ago. And I said, this kid is going to special ed. And so I remember, okay, so I had another trick. I read that if you taught special ed and if you taught gifted and talented, you could pretty much make your own program. And so that's, mm. I decided to take gifted and talented. Now, that's not meaning that I never had any kids who were special ed, because a lot of special ed kids are gifted and talented. They just can't sit still all day, okay? They can't take it. It's like, I can't, I don't want to do this. So they act out or they do stuff or, anyway, this young man could think really fast, but he couldn't squeeze his ideas out of his head onto a pencil. Hmm. He didn't test well. And he was angry because He was frustrated. And so I worked with him a little bit and I realized I could help him not be in special ed. I don't wanna use his name because I don't know whether he'd be listening or not. But anyway, I sent him to George Washington University and had him tested. And he tested 20 points above what Arlington had, which meant that he could stay in my classroom. And well, nobody else wanted it, okay? And we didn't fight, but he still couldn't write. And people gave him a hard time. The kids teased him and, and he just had a hard time. So his father said, um, if I let him use a computer, would that bother you? Can he bring it to the classroom? Now, like most teachers, I didn't know that much about technology, but I said, sure, bring it. And it changed my life. Hmm. So the first way it changed my life was when I was doing projects like plays and stuff like that, he would type all the stuff out and give it to me. He'd say, he'd say um, well, I know you know who the people are on the play, so I made this the uh, brochure for you. And I looked at this, and you know, he could change the font, and he could find things. And so this parent and I started learning to use the computer. And he wrote an essay for Prodigy. And I got a ticket because I went at lunchtime to the post office to make sure it got there on time. But that was okay because he won. And we went to a ceremony where they gave him the choice of going to Disneyland or accepting a computer for me and him. And you know who did that? Wow. So, So I got a free computer. What well, if you got a fr- free computer and the kid can do it. <laughs> you, you have to be able to do it too. And then you think about it, you say, well, there's two computers in the classroom. What are you gonna do? So I ended up being able to get people to help me. Um, well, see, I had a Corvette at the time and that was my technology. It was this cool car with the lights and the stuff. But, you know, I had to ramp down I I I bought another computer. So I had three computers. And there was a book called The One Computer Classroom. Well, I had three. If you think I had trouble in school with kids, nope. Mm-mm-mm. And then National Geographic had a project and they needed some people and they gave, so then I had four computers. Now, I had maybe 22 kids or 20. And when it was time to pee, they didn't want to go. When it was time to go to uh, after school, they would sneak out of after school and crawl down the hall and come back to the computers. So that made those people feel uncomfortable. And the principal got on my case. Do you really think that people are gonna use computers? But there was a guy named Chris Deedy who taught me about community use of computers. And when I took that course, I got another computer. Mm -hmm. So I ended up with about eight computers. That made me like, oh, I was like, everybody wanted to be in my class. So you can see why principals would be a little bit upset. But the other thing was, I learned that the kids who memorize stuff and blurt it out are not the smartest kids in your class. Mm -hmm. I learned to pay attention to the ones that didn't say very much. I learned that with the games, even though the games were stupid, some of them, I learned that those kids who kept trying at a game, who persevered, who would just keep getting it until they understood it, that those were the kids who were the real learners, and I also learned that I had some things to learn. Um, I had to learn to move away from the front of the class, because my kids would put their fingers up and say, you know what, that's the second time you said that. Oh, I can find that on the computer, and I should have gotten upset, but then I thought about it, I said, well, if they remember it to know that I said it, then I did a good job the first time. So it's okay for them to tell me that.
1: They would definitely
2: they they and they wouldn't go home. It would be 3:30, 4 o'clock, or whatever the time was in that school. And they would say, can we stay? And so I'd say, Well, I have to correct your papers. And so some one kid said to me, Well, why do you have to correct papers? Why don't you just put it on the Computer and we'll do it on the computer, which was a very, very smart thing, and it really worked because I could print it off. The only problem was the kids got so good at it. People thought that they were cheating on tests, and they mm. wouldn't let me. They wouldn't let me proctor a test, and they wouldn't let me give a test. So it was so funny. The kids got so mad when they found that out. They tested eleventh grade. And these were fourth graders, 11th grade in math. And, and they did have some mistakes. The basic math, they only did eighth grade, but the geometry and the trigonometry, they've learned that. They learned that on the computer and I, I didn't even direct them to that. Yeah. So well, I you learned. Know,
1: you know what I love about this part of your story but, is but, that you discovered much, much earlier than any teacher, any professor, any research person that kids love technology and computers, kids learn very differently. And I connect that to your creativity experience in Germany. And as you begin to come over here and you're like, hey, you gotta figure out what motivates and inspire these kids. So they begin to learn in your classroom differently so much so that you're getting this negative attention, but you can see that the kids are learning and it just sounds such like an awesome experience. I I wanna pivot to this next thing, right? The before and after, you know, desegregation. Some will say we lost permission to be creative once schools integrated. Once the, you know, schools started, you know, getting stressed and they would do, I guess this is your term where, you know, they now, are vendorized. They're now responding to these external pressures. What are your thoughts about that?
2: Okay, that didn't happen all at once. That happened in some schools. Um, The vendorization has two parts. One is when they started making it a mandate. Every kid had to pass certain tests at certain times. And you know, they're not cookies. Even cookies, when you put them in the oven, don't all brown the same way. But The different groups, uh, geography, math, they they all started saying they have to know this much. Well, the math I got because there was a black supervisor who said, you're going to be the math person. I said, I'm not the person. I don't really like this math. It's mindless. They have to do 200 somethings. They get bored doing it and I get bored correcting it. They said, no, you can teach it any way you want. And they had this thing called Cuisinaires and it's visual math. You put the blocks together and it's eight or it's 10 or it's 20. And then there's another kind called tessellations. And then on the programs for math, there was geometry. So that part, the vendorization didn't make any difference because they 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 aced those tests. But there were some things they couldn't vendorize they didn't, because they didn't, the kids didn't care about it. And that was stuff like what's in the Dewey Decimal System. So I had to figure out a way to teach that. But, cause that was the thing they always got wrong. They didn't know what was in the 900s, what was in the 800s. And a librarian helped me with that. Instead of reading out of those basal textbooks where you split back what's in the book. Um, I hate to say this, but I didn't use the basal book. I used the library. We worked our way through the Dewey Decimal System. In 100s, you had to find a book you like, tell me about it. And then they did individualized reading, if I could. In every school, I couldn't do that because all schools didn't have the same librarians, but I had a couple of librarians, especially a lady named Adela Inarino, who understood what I was trying to do. And so we led the kids through what the different things, were. we also taught them poetry. Hmm. We also started going to places where like the Smithsonian, the Smithsonian. See, people don't realize you're buying all this stuff for your classmates to drive my car up to the school store and spend like $400. You know what? I used to spend $5 and go to the Smithsonian and they'd give me stuff to teach with, or I'd get on the bus and they would allow us to use things and bring it back to the classroom. In fact, I got to go to India through the Smithsonian and build a chest for other people to use as the artifacts in it to learn about India. So the vendorization, this the, that's going on now, <laughs> okay, so I won four different prizes at NASA. And I hate to I hate to share this, but so I work for a group called Mad Science. And I'll tell you, I cried when I looked at the materials that they had. You could just go back and get anything you needed for your lesson, but they only paid you $15. And then they gave you a script. You didn't have to know anything. You had to follow that script. If you went off script, you'd get in trouble. And I got in trouble because I knew more than was on the script. And that happens with vendorization in almost every area, like maps and... Any of those things. If you're kind of smart and you know stuff, you don't memorize it to prattle it back. You you just keep exploring and you're not allowed yeah. to do that. It's it's vendorization means something like the place the, the program called My Big Brain. Why would they name it like that? I have no idea. But anyway, the people who write the programs decide what the kids learn. And when I tried to work in Washington again. Because I live in Washington, and there's a lady uh, that I work with who was at the State Department and who was at the Department of Education, Janelle Leonard. She's a fantastic woman. So we went here, in there are eight areas where kids live in housing projects. And we went to their schools, and the principal told us we don't do after school. We don't care whether the kids do computers. They have to pass this test. And after school, we're gonna give them pizza and they can do judo. Won't be any gin, yes, there won't be any NASA. We we don't want to work our teachers too hard. We just want them to learn what they're gonna do on the test. If it's not on the test, we don't care about it. And they didn't say that exactly, but they did exactly say that, if you understand what I mean. And a lot of schools are like that. And in fact, I got put out of a school happily at once, like once I got put out, but I got put out of a school because <laughs> there was a supervisor who had you had to be on this page on a certain time in the book because the tests were coming up and she wanted to make sure that you cover stuff. Excuse me. She hated me, but she was kind to me. And if you looked at it, you would think, oh, she really loved it. So one day I said, you know what? Why don't you show me how to do that? And one kid had to go help with the PE. And one kid had to go to music. And another kid had to go to to testify about something. She said, where are they going? I said, oh, that's just regular. She said, but how am I supposed to teach it if they're not here? I said, you were going to show me. So she said, well, I'll come back again. So she came back again. And this time they were going to chorus for them and three of them were helping with the kindergarten and she just threw her hands up, but she didn't really like it. But she did understand a little bit. See, because schools are community organizations and you have to serve the community, too. Mm -hmm. So you have to fix it. So whatever it is that you're doing for the community doesn't interfere with the teaching. But you can't glue a teacher to a schedule. Many schools do.
1: Well, and many know, principals th- do. thanks for giving me that, because that kind of gives me the backdrop and Katie, we got two more questions before we do open discussion. But I, I, I kind of want to, you know, you know, get us to current date. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I often hear it's important that, you know, parents, you know, kind of understand, you know, what teachers are going through. Right. There are only so many hours in a day. You can't get everything done at home. You can't get everything done in the school. I mean, what are your thoughts on how parents can be more supportive in, you know, what teachers are experiencing? How could parents, you know, be more involved?
2: Well, right now with the pandemic and COVID, sadly, most teachers are doing a kind of teaching that they don't understand and they don't know how to do. So parental support is really important. But the problem is we have the digital divide. We don't have digital inclusion. Many of our parents have never had um, the subject matter that, that the kids are getting. So they get frustrated. So it doesn't work really well. But there are some people who Dr. Clark from George Mason University wrote a paper that showed us how to help kids. So sometimes what you do is you involve the parents in what the kids are doing by example. You may even have them come in or send something home that helps them. But look, it even got me. I took 30 hours of Black history. My husband walked me through the, the museum. I got to a place where they start talking about all the revolts and the riots, and my niece got weak because I had never seen that stuff. See, school boards, oh, I would love to be able to go to a school board meeting there. School boards choose what you teach. And states decide whether or not you get to teach stuff. So parents have to be involved and learn what it is that they're teaching. That's why we have this whole big thing about critical race. It's just not there. Mm. It's This has been the worst year of my life about learning about Black history. I didn't know a lot of this stuff. And in fact, let me go back to the games. I used to teach Oregon Trail. Nobody told me that those people going to Oregon were going there so they could be white. They didn't want to be mixed. They didn't tell me um, that the people gave their um, smallpox-infested clothes to the Native Americans so they could have. So there's some things, I mean, there's a way we can teach it, but we have to also do something with the parents Mm. because the parents don't have it. Some of us as teachers don't know it. I learned it through National Geographic, through George Lucas, through um, National Council of Social Studies, through the English, the groups that help teachers do a wonderful job in helping you to learn things that kids should know. But there are some people that just have these five things they want you to do and mm. they want parents to learn. And if the parents don't know it, I don't know what you do. And a lot of them don't. And the only thing you can do is try to be inclusive in your teaching so that whatever they do, the parents have at least some background. And so yeah. I had a, a principal named Cameron Murphy Cat Calloway's daughter. Uh, there were more parents in the school than any any school I've ever been in. Hmm. I never listened for her footfall or parents because the parents came in and helped, and they were black parents, they were Hispanic parents. In fact, we fed them to have them come in, and then the high school and the junior high school teachers would come and do workshops with us with the kids. We even did things like a pajama party where kids would come, their parents would bring them in pajamas and we would read stories to them to model to them how to read to your child. And the people at the junior high schools would explain the things that people need to think about when the children were going through that transitional, you know, sixth grade thing. But that was Cam May Callaway Murphy. And Mm -hmm. I never had another principal like that. A lot of principals, to them the school is their reputation and their yeah. reputation rests on those test scores and they don't understand why the kids don't learn because they don't understand um they don't understand diverse cultures
1: yeah I-, I love your response for um how parents can be it seems engaged and involved and it's not just the work because we not, may not even have exposure to that but it's also involved in knowing what's in the curriculum. One last question, Katie, before we transition to the questions you have in the chat. Um, Ms. Bonibers, you tell me this. We talked about the parents, let's talk about the teachers. In your story, I see how you started in a place of creativity. You begin to connect with children, reach children and find these unconventional ways of teaching, reaching and educating kids, meeting them where they are. So much so you inspired them to be even more than many people believe. How about the teachers? You know, how can they begin to relearn or reshape how they engage with these students? And, and, yeah, I'm just going to stop there. You know, where do you see an opportunity for teachers to pivot and maybe relearn this approach at creativity as compared to only teaching to the test?
2: Well, when I was teaching where I met Rudy, we had team teaching. And although people may not like your learning style, the, the, when you worked in teams, you use your skills to negotiate with your teammates what it was you wanna do and how to do it. And there were some teachers who had better skills in some areas than others. So you divide up the subject matter so they could work to their skills. But the other thing is, the first time I was really successful, I worked by myself. I didn't involve anybody else. But May taught me to invite the rest of the teachers. I did Kids Network, which was an ecological environmental program. I did it first by myself. And then she said, you know, you can't do it by yourself. Invite other teachers to do what you're doing. And actually one teacher did it better than I did. And I love that. You give them a chance to try. But I was single and a lot of the parents, a lot of the teachers were parents, so they didn't have the time to invest. So May made me the person to be the go-to person for them. And we worked as teens, even if we weren't teens, you know, in subject matter area. Like in one school, there was a principal, there was a teacher who only wanted to teach science and she didn't want anybody else to teach it. I, I closed the door. I taught the hell out of science, okay? So when she got my kids, she had to think of something else to do. But, and so I broke that. Sometimes you just have to push because people get in a role of, I'm only gonna do this much. And they don't understand how valued they are to the community. So I start with things like bring in your favorite dish and let's make a cookbook for the whole class. And people say, well, what does that got to do with teaching? It has, you making community, okay? And then the next thing, this was the hardest one. We did a colonial farm. I've never been so tired in my life. We made dresses and marbles and wreaths and stuff, but the parents were involved. And they learned what it's like to teach kids. And the teachers learned what parents wanted. And so that helped a lot. I haven't answered your question exactly. Some teachers, my dad used to say, have laminated lesson plans and they're never going to change. But there are some teachers who can be inspired if you're willing to reach out and help them be a part of the team and feel valued.
1: Well, 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 thank you for that. I definitely took uh key three things away from what you said. The laminate lesson plan is definitely funny. I'm gonna use that one. But I like what you said about embracing creativity again. I like what you said about partnership or pairing teachers where teachers can work together. In addition, I also like what you said about community. So I can definitely see an opportunity to embrace community, community embrace creativity, and you know, stay away from laminated lessons led. So um, thank you, Miss Bonnie Bracey for, um, speaking with us tonight on these questions, hold tight. We're gonna do some discussion and we're just gonna do open discussion and Katie is gonna walk us through some questions that she has coming from the chat. Katie, what you got?
0: I have a question coming from Miss
3: Arva and I will let Arva ask the question. Okay, Arva. Thanks, Katie. Hello, Mrs. Sutton. Thank you so much for, um, you know, all that you said today, it was very uh, interesting and eye-opening. So my question for you is, what are your thoughts on the pressures that kids are facing today in high school? So, and I'm looking at it from the perspective of some of the things that my kids are doing now in the 11th grade are things that I did my first and second year in college. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're up super late doing homework, all the time, it's just to me. It looks like pressure, 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 and I see very little room for creativity unless they have a an arts class like you know music or band or you know something that's outside of the regular. Um, well, I mean, band is not outside of the regular curriculum, but you know, it's not like oh, you must be on this page by this day. What, what, are you, what are your thoughts on, on... Well,
2: the problem is the body of knowledge has increased and the media involvement has increased. And so my plan for Alexandria is to do after-school projects in the recreation center. They aren't just going to make, tie knots and play um, baseball and stickball. We have gardens. We have a place where kids are supervised and people help them to learn the software. We do field trips, and the museums have so much stuff. A teacher can't do, it's, the body of knowledge is out there now. There are some kids who can handle it, but there are a lot of kids who can't. And so there need to be in the community some places which are a refuge, like an after-school center. And people are funding them, some of the tech companies are. Or, uh... Like the Smithsonian does outreach. Someone, we just got 10 computers in our after-school place where we use the program and someone comes and monitors what the kids are doing. It's too hard. It's hard for teachers. If you have a really smart kid in your classroom and you're not paying attention, in about three days, the kid will look at you and say, well, you're stupid. And they don't have any respect. No, I'm serious. Mm -hmm. They have no respect for you. So what you have to do is to first find out who this kid is that you're teaching. What the kids have to do is to understand that there are many sources of education and that person standing in front of them is not the fount of knowledge or everything and find the way that they best learn. And that's hard for people to do. Uh, parents, it's really hard because even in your family, the children are different, the mm-hmm. different way in which they learn. My brother learned from museums. I spent so much time in the museums, I became a museum educator and went to Russia to teach them how to do it. But my sister didn't do anything in the museum. She owned. my sister couldn't read really well. And my mother, she didn't glue her to the seat, but there was a time between five and six o'clock that we all sat down the table. And whatever it was they had to learn, my mother helped or somebody helped or we found someone who would help. And that girl, that girl did better than me. She went to the Federal Trade Commission and changed their policies. She became a lawyer from learning how to, you know, nail down whatever it was she was trying to pursue. Each child is different. That's the problem. People think that kids come to school, oh, this is a fifth grade kid, no such thing. Oh, this is a 12th grade, no such thing. We, we have forgotten that there's a variety of abilities that kids have. And m- most people don't know how to find out and assess what they are. Museums do a lot in helping. Uh, libraries now are beginning to pick up. Like in the DC library, you can go in and learn how to do the, finesse the software. There are not a lot of people in schools that have time to teach how to use Word. How to, there's so much technology, it changes as you know it. Mm-hmm. It, it, even if you think you know it today, tomorrow they'll come up with something else. So you have to find the places that will feed that knowledge and people who will not be, um, people who will be sharing in their teaching or, she, or outreach. I guess people who are good at outreach who enjoy what they're doing and that's hard. What are your thoughts on Montessori? Oh, I wanted to be a Montessori. In fact, I was asked to be a Montessori. In fact, in Arlington, at Drew Model School, we had Montessori classes, and the kids were so great. They would come, they would put stuff away. We, like I said, those cuisineres rods. Kids who had never been taught how to manage things would leave the things all over the place. I taught hands-on science. The problem with hands-on science is a lot of kids don't put stuff away. Montessori kids learn, mm-hmm. kept that skill, even when I think we ran out of Montessori teaching at second grade, but they, they maintained those skills because they learned them early and they mm-hmm. kept the idea. I loved it. And I wanted to be a Montessori teacher, but they didn't pay enough money.
3: <laughs> and my, my niece and nephew uh, went to Montessori up through eighth grade i believe and then in the oh, ninth grade oh, awesome uh, they transferred to a regular regular uh, public school so it's been amazing sort of listening to them and watching them and uh, seeing the types of things that they were doing in montessori long before my kids were doing these types of things that absolutely and in, in high school so yeah it's it's Wow.
2: Yep. Well, see, if you're a gifted and talented teacher, you can learn what the Montessori teacher is doing and use the materials that they use and steal the ideas from the museum and take the kids places. But if you're a regular school teacher, you kind of have your head stuck to the um, things that the principal mandates, which is why I
1: got thrown out of a couple of schools. <laughs> Thank you very much. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you, Mm Arva. I think you got another question in the chat, Katie. Uh,
0: We've got a question from Dr. Rudy Jackson.
2: Oh, this is going to be interesting. Okay. (laughs) Okay, Rudy. Let's have it. You're on mute. I think I saw... Yes. How would it change the teaching profession?
1: Yep, yep. Especially serious. teacher education. If you could run okay, a teacher so, education program at, let's say, Virginia State.
2: <laughs> Listen, I belong to a group. I'm not going to name them. And I went every year and I would do presentations and then people would look at me and say, how did you learn this? And I'm thinking, you guys are the guys that teach teachers and you don't <laughs> know how to do this or do that. And I couldn't understand it. And then I realized that in teacher education, people specialize in one area. And I remember sitting watching a professor teach me about digitization from the Smithsonian that I learned three years before because I went to a field trip. And he was so excited. And he was from the University of Virginia. I think I realized that Most of them don't understand technology integration. That's the technology integration. Most of them don't understand K-12 and they look at us like we're a disease. There's not enough um, integration of K-12 teachers with higher ed. And basically my feeling was that the higher ed teachers bowed to the subject but not students. The other thing is that When we integrated, we lost leadership. So unfortunately, those people who happened to be of color or ethnicity and that kind of stuff, didn't get to lead or recognize teachers who had skills. And so it becomes like a very boring thing of, this is my subject, this is how I teach it. And that's the only way at the George Lucas Education Foundation, the people would come in and bring these ideas and pitch them. And he would look at those of us who were K-12 teachers and we'd say, well, that works okay. But there's got to be some integration. The, the, the teachers who teach teachers need to know how to work in the classroom. They need some classroom smarts. And I don't know how they get them if they don't ever work with kids. And I'm not talking about student teaching. I'm talking about technology integration and gifted and talented, and special ed and understand how to manage a schedule. Like the lady I told you, when the kids went out to PE and the kids went to this, they don't understand because they don't, they don't go through it. They don't have enough experience with K, K through six to help kids make the jump from sixth grade to middle school, whatever that is. And then middle school is totally different. And for some reason, the people in higher ed are subject oriented. You learn geography. There's a program called ESRI. If I was 20, I would jump on that thing like white on rice. It is geography, it is statistics, it is, everything. And when you talk about people say, oh, that that looks hard. There are some subjects that bring data and information and geography and GIS and history together, and nobody's teaching them. You have to go to Esri to get it. It should be a part of every, uh, even if you're not going to teach it, you should know that. The other thing is math. Math in the United States is abysmal. My uh, husband's children went to school in Italy. The math and chemistry and physics that they learned was so much above. It it wasn't just memorizing it. It, it, we, We need to get some new ways of teaching and involving people in higher ed with the kids who come to them and with the teachers who come to them they're in a world of their own and it doesn't work for
1: me sorry yeah i would agree oh yeah. <laughs> well, well well thank you I, I got another question katie you got a um question yeah. go ahead. not second go ahead okay so you know oh my goodness i just forgot my question Oh, I know I was going to ask uh, Cassie. She's on, and I know she's a teacher. Um, Cassie, you have any questions for us while I remember my question?
0: Um, I see a couple in the, in the chat also.
1: Okay, yeah, go ahead and do those while I remember what I was thinking about.
0: We've got one. Um, how do today's teachers stick to required lessons but encourage exploration?
2: By teaming up with the groups of people who um, make those divisions, like National Geographic works with social studies, they can learn from the groups that are specialized, what the techniques are, National Geographic has alliances, social studies people have groups, I joined all the groups, because my mother always said you want to be the smartest person in the room, you want them to feel like that floor is going to fall out, if you're not there, because they don't know anything. And I, I you have to you have to go where the people know stuff. And unfortunately, the people in the groups, like the national teachers of math and the English people, they have it, but it isn't spread throughout the whole teaching community. And so you have to have people like Rudy and people who know things guide you to places where you can find people who can help you do things. Because there are a lot of people who graduate from MIT, they can't teach their way out of a paper bag, I'm sorry. Did you see the video about astronomy? I'm serious, you think I'm kidding, I'm not kidding. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. uh, what I hear you saying is that collaboration is important among teachers, right? Collaboration and building partnerships with organizations out in the community, um, like you did with the Smithsonian, like you did at,
2: at other museums and things like that. Is that, is that correct? Let, let me give you a better example. Mm-hmm. There's a place called the National Center for Supercomputing. When I would go there, they taught about the Internet. When I, we didn't even call it the Internet they did visualization and modeling. And I'm like, what are the, why, why do we care about this visualization and modeling? They taught us how to make our own weather maps. And when you go there, you feel like you're the genius of the world. But when you come back to your school, nobody knows what you're talking about. <laughs> and right now, National Geographic is teaching lessons with their people and and free lessons. And I know all of that stuff. Well, I know it because I took classes at the National Center for Supercomputing Applications, and it was free. I mean, you know, you just had to apply. It's the only conference I've ever went to where no man looked at me, no man talked to me. Those people were into their stuff. They were learning how to do these things. And in fact, I wanted to stay in the hall. They were doing things that I can't even explain to you, like where they simulate a roller coaster and you had to ride on it and do things. And I would say, what, why do you do this? And now some of their visualizations are out and they're wrapping them into art and music. And that's why they did them because they're, but there's not enough integration of teachers who get a chance to learn that stuff. I still. They had a, a, a project called Bug Scope and Chick Scope. I could hatch chickens, tell them how it worked, what it looked like inside. I never lost but one or two chickens because they they analyzed it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and most people just do stuff off the cuff. They don't get into the subject. National Center for Supercomputing, I actually should, if I had money, I would give them money, but I don't. So what I do is a bug scope. Kids say, oh, look, that's a roach. But you know what? If you learn what these, what all these things are, then you begin to get an interest on environmental education. The first time I went, I went in my high heels and I drove my Corvette. And that woman said to me, honey, put these boots on and put a bag over that coat and park that car let's walk. And I'm like, what are you talking about? But you know what? I learned so I can read a, a meadow. I can, I can do a stream. I can do four dress, but who gets to do that? That there are all of these things that teachers don't get taught. And so now we're acting like environmental education just got invented,
1: nope. You know what I it. love about this story, um, Ms. Bonnie Bracey, is that Katie, she was never refined to the classroom. She was always intellectually curious And the key thing that you said, Katie, you said partnerships, but I'll tell you what I hear. I hear she built relationships with people who had names and brands that were much larger than her school district and her principals. George Lucas, museums, the, the, the military. She was always outside of the classroom, networking, building relationships. Keeping her territory expanded. So when she got back to the classroom, and they like, "Why are you doing that?" You're like, "Oh, I learned that at the National Institute of Science. Don't worry about that. That's just you know what I do." But doesn't that create permission?
0: Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just thinking. Go
2: go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead. Go ahead. You go.
0: Doesn't some of that creativity that you have, Miss um, Bracey, doesn't it come from being taught by teachers that were creative, right? So you were brought up during a time. No, no, oh,
2: no, 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 Okay, so, so that's something Catholic. that was in you. No, no, let me tell you where I went so yeah. you understand. I went to Catholic school for eight years. Uh, okay, I know. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> and and, and we, we memorized everything. They put me in the library and I learned about Egypt because I could read so fast that I made people crazy. But a lot of kids would be able to read fast if they didn't do that Dick and Jane stuff. And I think the reason I became creative was because these people, I mean, if you go to the National Center for Supercomputing and you say, well, we're gonna hatch eggs in the classroom. They said, well, don't you wanna know what's in it? You said, what do you mean? They said, well, we can show the kids day by day, what's happening and why it works and why you have to have moisture. And I'm like, what? Because when I was taught it by four eights, you just put the eggs in there and you turn them. You didn't learn about why or what or anything. And they didn't tell you what to do with the chicks when they had. But when, when it's a body of knowledge that people, um, that's their specialty, they do it really well. We did in Catholic school, mm-mm, nope. They just get well,
0: teachers to be creative then, right? If and and I don't want to come down on teachers because I think they're no, it's the not, their fault. Right? It's not their fault, right? Right. But they're teaching to a test. Some of them are in districts that don't have a Smithsonian around the corner, right? So it's how do they learn to be creative when they're in a community where there isn't creativity. I mean you did it in Germany, right? So how how does that happen, right? How is it that we can support our teachers to find that creativity that still allows them to teach the children to teach to the god awful test, right? That that so many of their jobs
2: are are reliant on. The Smithsonian has outreach for mm-hmm. every kind. It's the largest museum in the world. There are 18 museums. Right. And one of the things to do is to find that outreach online. The other thing is to take those courses, because if you teach the kids correctly, they'll, find, they'll, they'll do it themselves. So if I did tessellations, and I don't know how to explain in two seconds what it is, but where you move things around. But there was a little boy named Robert Hall. I hope he won't mind my using his name. I was teaching him about geography and tessellations and stuff. And I noticed he was doing two games at one time. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, this game called Carmen San Diego, you have to move around in the United States and this game over here, I'm transporting sheep to a place. If I put all the information together in both games, I can do my game better. Let's see who's gonna let the kid do that because the people don't know that you could do that. And then I had a kid, this woman said, "Um, I'm gonna put this child and games with you but he's going to be a troublemaker you know what the trouble I had was he didn't want to go home mm-hmm. so it's it's about putting the right materials in the right way and I think somebody like Rudy and people who understand children could do a pre who is this kid you got to find out who they are mm. and then help the teachers find out how to engage how it's called the seven Es and help them engage explore be entertained, extend. I don't remember the other three, but but look up seven E's. And I've got that from a physics teacher. And it, 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 it works. Like there's a project called the science of cooking at the Exploratorium. Cooking is a science. It is. Mm-hmm. But who would ever say that it is? Because they don't talk about it. But that's what it is. And so if you say, well, how do you know when a, an egg is cooked, that really is science. But we don't, we don't talk about those kinds of things. We, we think science is only when you're doing the bugs and talking about the climate and actually it all comes together. It's not about being smart, it's about being involved. If you're in a country town like I was in Germany, you punk. So in that little town there were jewelry makers and they carved little animals. Now I was too stupid to keep all of them, but I had little animals carved out of quartz and jade and all of those things. And they had caves, so they taught us mineralogy that there are assets somewhere. And like in my, even in my family, uh, and did you know they are red, yellow, and orange watermelon?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I didn't until I went to the farm, and I didn't know that. When I jumped in the creek and there were frogs and stuff in there, I thought I was going to die. I couldn't believe that I was in there with frogs and all that stuff. Nobody (laughs) taught that stuff. I mean, I had a white bathing suit. I was disgusted. But then (laughs) that lady taught me. So it it has to be that we are not giving the teachers who teach teachers enough resources so that they can make
1: better teachers.
2: You know what?
1: I love that story so much. I mean, how much is in there, right? How much is in there? I mean, that holistic learning, learning everywhere, touching everything, being engaged in the classroom. Katie, I think, you know, she answered your question and some more. It's so much there. I can't even digest it because there's so much there, right? But I'm just trying to envision her going from her her hot ride Carvette, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> had to do it,
2: had to buy, had to buy some more computers. And in fact, some of the first Pioneer teachers actually bought, we would buy like sets of computers. I know one lady that had eight and something happened and she's, I think there's a fire in the school and that's when she told her husband, I, I bought those computers, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I love the car, but man, that computer can take you everywhere. Look, I went to Egypt. And when I got to Egypt, the only reason I'm not an archaeologist is because I get claustrophobia. But I was ready to do something. When I went to uh, Greece, I taught in Greece, I knew so much stuff in the museum, they would let me in free. Hmm. And I got that from the computer from just looking at what people offered. So we must have a way to let kids explore their interests and use the knowledge that people have already accumulated. Like you can do archaeology on a computer, but school systems may make very narrow choices.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: There's another question in the chat. Do you want to answer that? There are a one, Katie? couple, actually. Um, okay.
0: Angie D asked, um, "Do you have any thoughts on how Black educators can begin to supplement?" for the things that racists are taking out of the curriculum. And, and honestly, I'm gonna expound on her question a little bit because I don't think it's just black educators, but how can black people, in addition to educators, supplement for things that are being Girl, taken out you of fell curriculum. into my trap.
2: So <laughs> digitalization, digitalization, like we're doing with the African-American Hall of Fame. First of all, I used to not wanna study black history because I didn't want them to tell me about slaves because I didn't want them to tell me that my great-grandfather was a slave because the pictures that they showed were so horrible. Mm -hmm. And then in my neighborhood, the African-American Hall of Fame, they went back and showed me that there were no school buses, there was no money, and that the community came together like, the community came together for me. So when it came time for me to go to Russia, I knew it was okay because I knew someone who had been. you, you need to know that that knowledge about the, and some of it, we're just learning. I've learned so much Black history this year. I think I want to say, okay, enough. But it has to be integrated because otherwise you get angry. You get like this. I watched them dig up a, a church and to move the bodies from across where I live. And I said, how can they do that? And in fact, my family got moved because they said Route 66 was going to, It didn't. You just have to have a different level of awareness and you have to use the national museums. You have to learn, read the books. You have to do the internet, but you need to digitalize what happened in your own community. In my community, there was a sitting before anybody selling for hot dogs. Okay. It was for books. You don't see that anywhere. I was in Florida when they talked about some people that got blown up at Christmas, but the NAACP didn't want to talk about that. We have hidden history and we have to teach, uh, teach each other and ourselves so we have a respect. I had a picture of a man who was being burned for learning how to read, and I kept that in my class, in my room when I taught, when I was learning when it got hard, I would look at that man that was burned up for learning how to read and think what a joy it would have been for him if he could have learned. So you have to find something that inspires you from history to do it. That's not a good answer, but- I think it digital, is a good <laughs> The digitalization will show you that all black people aren't stupid, that slaves were smart and they did a lot of things they all—all all I heard when I was coming up was about people being in slavery with chains and stupid stuff, and it made me feel bad. So I didn't really want to do Black history, sure. and now it's different. You learn about—you—you you learn a lot, right? And it's—it's it's available on the internet, right?
1: You know, hold that second question, Katie, Miss Bonnie Bracey, can you tell us about your current project in Alexandria? I know you guys are doing a, a, a restoration project, right? Can you tell us about that and the digitalization there?
2: Actually, it's not me. It's a guy, Dawkins. He is the memory of Alexandria. And what he does and what he has done is to take pictures of, write the story of the first you probably know that Earl Lloyd was the first NBA player, but you probably don't know that his family were cold tenders, and that when they played basketball, they used the back of a truck and used their equipment bag to keep from falling off the truck, to go to the other games and that the teachers got together and supported and drove them to the places. And then when he went to uh, West Virginia, the various teachers would go and see his game and they encouraged him to apply. We do a lot of things that people don't know about. And when he became famous, he reached back. And see, guys have an ideation of scaffolding. Sports is something you can use to integrate. Girls, we haven't got that yet. Well, maybe they do, but I never played girl sports, so I don't know. But you can, you can make leadership with men using sports and my brother wants us to do that with medicine um it's not working right now but but at least sports gets them started we need to do something that bridges the gap in science
3: Mm
2: -hmm. I didn't answer the question well but what Dawkins is doing is there's gentrification the house that I lived in when I grew up is now worth almost a million dollars. Well, who the hell is gonna buy in that place? And who's gonna remember that Black people live there? Well, in Alexandria, people are gonna remember because you can go to that website and it tells you who the people were, who Mr. Patterson was, who went to uh, uh, Russia and that people sang in different countries and that um, the people who were in the Ruth youth, Even one thing that women can talk about, there were no black women in fashion magazines and all the stuff that they made was made by us, homemade. Well, there was a girl, uh, Lejeune Huntley, who went to Cannes Film Festival and the people in Europe thought she was beautiful so she came back. And the industry, beverage industry pushed her forward and that's when we started to integrate and be a part of the talk about women in magazines and makeup and cooking except and, and not slaves in a box like Aunt your mama, okay? And I forgot what the guys, Uncle Ben. Slaves in a box, mm-mm. we needed to break out of that. And there's still people who say, oh, but you know, when you see Gone with the Wind, hey, you know what? That woman was really smart. She had to dumb down to take that role. So, some kids who are insecure think that we're stupid and we're not we are some of the we've been kings and queens we did metallurgy before many countries did in in some in some countries but but kids don't know that because it's not taught you know thank you you. there's
0: something that somebody who is a teacher who has joined us has said and it's cassandra davis and i'm going to i'm going to read what it is that she said it's Teaching is facilitating learning, not yep. showing yourself as the only access to information yep. pathway. Yep. Yep. Uh,
2: and I, I, think that's a great quote. Actually, absolutely, absolutely. Well, in yeah. fact, I'm embarrassed, but I'm going to tell you, I'm learning Vietnamese cooking from V. Bui, who was in my sixth grade class at Long Branch. Nathan Lyon taught me how to shop farmers' markets. I have a, I have. Several teacher kids who, kids who are in different occupations who are now teaching me online about what they know and how they do things. And it's interesting to be able to do that. Like Rudy, he taught me to make sure when I'm thinking about kids going to Harvard, he doesn't know this, but anyway, to not go past the leadership in the community because people who are of color and people who are of your community may know a path that will help you get there better, mm-hmm. and you won't be there by yourself, and you have some support, and you'll know the kind of things that could happen, and you'll be strong when you go there. A lot of kids get those scholarships and fall out. They don't. That's they right. can't do it by themselves. That's right. Sorry, awesome. Ruby. I had to say that.
0: No, it's awesome. true. I mean, community is one of, I think, one of the biggest things. And, and I think if we if we learn one big thing here, it's that we still have to depend on our community and on others in order for our children to get ahead and in order for our teachers to feel supported. Um, nobody's in this alone.
1: That's true. Awesome. let me share with you all some ideas to wrap us up. And Tamika, if you don't mind putting in the chat the links to Miss Bonnie Grace's site and the work that she's currently doing in addition to her Facebook group. So if anybody wanted to catch up, she is still sharing today and passing that knowledge on to other people. So um, what's the name of that? Because um, I didn't send it, to Mika. Ms. Bonnie Brace, what's the name of your Facebook it's digital group? Equity, the digital equity group in Facebook. Digital equity group in Facebook. Tamika will find that link. Let me summarize. So in tonight's go, I chatted with Ms. Bonnie Brace uh, and I said, well, what would we like to walk away with after tonight? She says, you know, I really want the audience to understand more so a history of education in America. In addition, in the age of technology, teaching needs to evolve. Teachers need to evolve. Parents need to understand the possibilities. In a reference in math and science, we have to push so we can begin to enable ourselves in other opportunities. Lastly, for the teachers and educators out there from her life, her story, her career, as an accomplished teacher with many ideas and experience, she can work in any industry based on her education and experiences. You see, she's not just somebody you can put in a classroom and say, go do that she had so many experiences outside of the classroom so thank you miss bonnie bracy sutton for being here tonight for sharing with us your story your history so that we can begin to learn from these be better educators parents teachers and community leaders
0: Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for a discussion with the audience.